Good evening. Uh, if we haven't had the, the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Naman. I'm one of the, the pastors here at City Reformed. And um, <clears throat> here at the evening service, we've been kind of trekking along through a sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and last week, we left off in the middle of chapter 11. Uh, but as you'll see printed in your bulletin, we're starting in, in chapter 12. And, and that's not a mistake. Uh, the latter half of chapter 11 talks a lot about the Lord's Supper and communion, and we decided to save that for an actual communion Sunday here at the evening service. So we're kind of doing a little switcheroo on you, and so we find ourselves in the beginning of chapter 12, but wanted to reassure you that was an intentional decision. And so let me read our text for tonight, <clears throat> and as is the tradition here, if you could respond with thanks be to God. Let's read, let's go to God and, and read His Word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So as we've noticed, Paul's pattern as we've kind of um, gone along through this series is that he's, he's written this letter to the Corinthians uh, addressing a lot of issues that have been going on in the church, some a lot more serious than others. Uh, and we land here in chapter 12 in a pretty big one. Uh, and we know that because Paul spends the next three chapters addressing this idea and this topic of spiritual gifts, so that even today it's a very hot topic amongst other Christians. Uh, and we know that because in verse 1 he, he starts off, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. Now I'm going to enter into this little treatise talking about spiritual gifts. So he cues us that this is going to be his next topics. Now there's a, a very commonly used and very simple saying in our household uh, that goes like this, people are more important than things. People are more important than things. And it sounds, as you're, as you're hearing it for maybe the first time now, it sounds pretty simple, it sounds pretty intuitive, but it comes in handy, especially when you're parenting young children, so that when you're trying to <clears throat> gather the kids for dinner and, and they're in the middle of their, their play zone, we're talking, hey, let's, let's spend time together as a family. People are more important than things, right? Or when they're playing games, and as probably they get from me, and they get extra competitive, and they want to win, we, we say, okay, let's, let's focus on having fun over and above winning. People are more important than things. 
And a commonly used one is, is sharing. Like we, we think about the other person when we share our toys, when we share the things uh, that we own. And so people are more important than things. And it may seem simplistic and effective to us, but it was a lesson that was not conveyed, that was not understood, and certainly not employed in the Corinthian church. What's been happening is that in this idea of spiritual gifts, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ have been in the church using the gifts that they have been blessed by, blessed with, to then lord it over other fellow Christians sitting in the same pews as them. And specifically, there, were, there was a gift of tongues that was hotly debated in the Corinthian church that those who had them were seemingly, dare I say, better Christians, right? I kind of cringe at the thought of even saying that phrase, but that's what was going on, right? They weren't, impor- they weren't worrying too much, concerned too much about the, the welfare and the health and and the well-being of their fellow brothers and sisters, but they were more worried about holding on to whatever gifts they had and then kind of elevating themselves, uh, even within the context of the church, as to marginalize other people with, quote-unquote, lesser gifts. So this is the issue that Paul is addressing. So as we look at this, these first 11 verses of chapter 12, we'll, we'll look at the various, the nature of gifts, the, the scope of spiritual gifts, and, and certainly the implications of them. So let's dive right into what Paul is trying to say. And right off the bat, as, he's, as he mentions the word spiritual gifts, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, here it is, here's what I'm going to talk about. The word that he uses here in the original language doesn't actually translate literally to spiritual gifts, right? But it, it translates to the, the, an adjectival form of the Holy Spirit, like a plural adjectival. So it's more apt to translate this word that was used to say spiritual things or maybe even spiritual people. But given some context and given some editorial discretion, it's translated here as spiritual gifts, right? Things that are given, not necessarily uh, earned, things that we receive. And so we, we take a moment to pause that even as, as modern-day Christians, that this is a very hard lesson for us to learn, this idea of, of gifts, and certainly the idea of gifts being not earned uh, we live probably in a society and a temptation where we receive maybe rewards and not necessarily gifts. That when we think about a lot of the gifts that are given in exchange, you think about uh, <clears throat> things like going to a wedding and getting somebody a wedding gift, or, or hopefully maybe Joe in, a, in a couple, the next couple of weeks will receive retirement gifts, right? Or when we, we think about other things like graduation gifts, as was common a couple months ago, oftentimes these gifts aren't just given for the sake of them, but it's to honor and commemorate some sort of achievement, maybe some sort of cultural checkpoint that you have. And even as you think about it, we, we kind of grow uncomfortable with the idea of, of gifts being unearned. And I, and I ask you this as sort of an acid test, a litmus test, have you ever received a gift completely unwarranted, completely unexpected, with no strings attached, and then how did you find yourself responding to that? And maybe this is just an illustration for me, but then I, I start to grow uncomfortable and be like, what did I do to deserve this? What now do I have to do to deserve? Do I have to keep this list? Do I have to pay this person back in the future? Do I have to pay them extra special attention for getting me this gift? 
when we think about this idea of, of gifts, it's often tied to merit, it's often tied to reward, some achievement, something that we're able to earn, something that we feel entitled to. But for Paul, what it boils down to is that the central gift of the Holy Spirit is our common confession as Jesus Christ is Lord. That when we think of what spiritual gifts are and what they should be, it boils down to the one spiritual gift that we have that he says that Jesus is Lord. That no one can say that unless they're in the Spirit, and that in and of itself is a gift. That Jesus is the gift. Our faith is a gift. That what leads us here tonight to come every week to sing these songs, to be in community with those around us, that is a gift given to us. It's nothing that we've done to earn, nor certainly can we earn it, but it is a gift. So the temptation lines, and maybe even seeing our own faith as a gift. Now, this is true because let's consider for those of us who are Christians, professing Christians, think about your own testimony. Take a minute to think about how you came to the Lord. Now, as the pastor overseeing the membership process, I sit in a very advantageous seat to be able to hear so many stories of how people came to Christ, how people came to the church, even specifically how people found City Reformed. And it's story after story, factor after factor, person after event after date after whatever it was that brought them. And when you sit and actually pause and you ask yourself, how much did I really have a part in that happening? How much was I responsible for coming and being who I am today and doing the things that I do as it pertains to our faith? I can certainly say that was all God. That when I profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, that was a work of the Holy Spirit in me and not my own earning. So that when we consider this idea of spiritual gifts, our giftedness, even our talents, all of that comes from God himself. How much do we really have a part in that? And we, we continue to see that even in, the, in this first verse, as we continue a couple words more, Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the word he uses there for uninformed could also be translated as maybe ignorant or unaware or not able to recognize something. And it's the same Greek word that we find the root word for agnostic. So that what Paul distinguishes here in being able to know something about spiritual gifts and not know something, is he's trying to teach them this is the, the primary foundation under which everything lies. So that as you, the Corinthian church, feel the temptation to have and hold on to certain spiritual gifts, consider some of them better than others, and then use that to lord it over other people, you forget that we all stand on the same ground. Do not be ignorant. Do not be uninformed. Do not be agnostic towards this base truth that the primary gift is that Jesus Christ is Lord, by being able to say that, is a gift of the Spirit. It's not a display of your competency. It's not a, a being able to be good enough or effective enough, even in the context of the church, but it's by the power 
of the spiritual gift. And as we, have con- as we confessed earlier in that last line, spiritual gifts are meant for us to exalt the giver of the gift and not the receiver or the gift itself. This idea that we have spiritual gifts to exercise in the church is always supposed to point us back to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, not look what I have done. If it doesn't point to Jesus, it is not a gift of the Spirit. If what we do does not honor Christ, the Holy Spirit is not working there. All of what we do is for the glory of Christ. Um, in, the, in the last couple of years, there was a really uh, pivotal article for me that I read, and it's, the title of it is actually, Ministry Can Be Dangerous to Your Spiritual Health. Ministry Can Be Dangerous to Your Spiritual Health. Now, you can see why I was intrigued by the title alone, um, and let alone the fact that it was written by Tim Keller, but... In it, Keller drives home the importance of maintaining your prayer life and your devotion to the Lord and certainly spending time in the Word, as we always preach from the pulpit, Word, uh, prayer, and and fellowship. It's important to maintain these things in your lives in the course of ministry. That sounds very simple, right? It sounds like it wouldn't really sell a ton of copies off the press, but what he goes on to say is, is, hear this, and I'll directly quote him. He says, the wrong thing to do as it pertains to ministry is to rely on the excitement of ministry activity and effectiveness. In this way, you begin to lean more on your spiritual gifts than on spiritual grace. In fact, you may mistake the operation of spiritual gifts for the operation of spiritual grace in your life. Gifts are the abilities that God gives us to meet the needs of others in Christ's name. That could be speaking, encouraging, serving, evangelizing, teaching, leading, administering, counseling, and so forth. Graces, as opposed to gifts, graces, often called spiritual fruit, are beauties of character. Love, joy, peace, humility, gentleness, self-control. Spiritual gifts are what we do. Spiritual fruit is who we are. Unless you understand the greater importance of grace and gospel character of ministry effectiveness, the discernment and use of spiritual gifts may actually become a liability in your ministry. The terrible danger is that we can look to our ministry activity as evidence that God is with us or as a way to earn God's favor and prove ourselves. Now, I'll stop there so this is not just a sermon that Keller himself is preaching, but what, what Keller is trying to say is that yes, spiritual gifts are important, but they need to be undergirded by spiritual grace, by the work of the Spirit in our lives for us to say Jesus Christ is Lord in a genuine way. So much to say that if we do things, certainly ministry activity, if we do things outside of our faith, outside of a regular devotion and prayer and spending time in, in God's Word, if we do things outside of that, we can still employ our spiritual gifts, but in a very dangerous way. There is a way to do church ministry. There is a way to be in community by still exhibiting spiritual gifts, but that would still decay at who we are because of this lack of relationship that we have with God. 
There's a very real way that we can abuse the gifts that we've been given for our own gain and not the benefit of others. And this is especially poignant for me as a pastor, right? And you can see why. I've been involved in ministry contexts where that was the case, where we were extremely gifted, that there was very highly competent people, that we were seeing results that from any, stand, any other standards, it was a successful ministry. People were coming. The attendance was high. Things were vibrant. Ministry was happening. Events were going on. By all senses of the word, the metrics were successful. But there was a lot of inner turmoil, a lot of unhealth, a lot of kind of taboo things that we didn't talk about, that we let slide, that ultimately pointed to this really unhealthy culture. So that even as a pastor of this church, not to say that that's going on in this church, but even as a pastor of this church, and specifically someone who oversees other people in our staff, there's a temptation for me to also stick by these metrics, to stick by the success that we have, how many people are showing up, what is our reach, what is our influence like, how can we best do ministry with the gifts that we've been given all at the cost of overseeing this faith that we have in Jesus. There's a lot that we can do. There's, there's a lot of gifts that can be employed, even in this room, even as we saw up on stage here, and if you see our morning worship service, there's a ton, there's a lot of good things going for our church. And as somebody who came in four or so years ago, I can, I can honestly say that even everybody on our staff is uniquely gifted to serve in the ways that they have been called. I don't know that there's ever been any other ministry context where I can say that, but there is a danger that if we take loose this idea of our devotion to the Lord, of, of being able to reflect and honestly uh, can be convicted by our sin and, and come to the Lord humbly and saying, Jesus is Lord. God, this is for you. I cannot do think these things by my hand. It doesn't matter how big the church is. It doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how big your budget is. All of that is for naught when it's not wrapped around the central gift of what the Spirit is doing. So certainly we need to be changed as individuals, but we also need to be changed as a community to seek to bear the fruit of the Spirit and not just chase after spiritual gifts. So then what does that imply? How do we actually take what Paul is saying seriously? What does that look like for us? And, and Paul, as he, as he usually does, uses a very effective teaching method. He kind of puts all of this stuff forward. To, it says that, you know, you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And then he continues on from verses 4 all the way through 11 by listing all of these spiritual gifts, right? And then listing all of um, these things that could happen. As we mentioned before, uh, what Paul is doing is he's not necessarily listing these gifts as a way to entice people. This is what you should chase after. In fact, over the course of his ministry and over the course of his writing, Paul never actually gives a, a one full exhaustive list of spiritual gifts that is 
uh, consistent throughout everything. So there, in, there are parts of Romans that will list spiritual gift. There are parts here, obviously, that he lists in 1 Corinthians 12, and later on in the book that he'll list certain gifts. And, but there, aren't, there isn't just one running list of here are then all the spiritual gifts. So what he's doing is he's not necessarily giving us an in-depth, detailed how-to manual on how to be Christians and how to run the church and how to use these gifts, but he's giving us basic paradigms. He's giving us a basic and firm foundation in, again, putting forth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the non-negotiables of our faith. And now it's up to us to be able to then contextualize that, to use that, because we certainly know that a lot of the things that Paul may write about may not apply to us in 2022 in western Pennsylvania of the United States, right? And so there's, again, there's often a temptation for modern-day evangelical Christians to come to this part of 1 Corinthians to then argue this idea of spiritual gifts, how they're being employed, how they can still be employed today. Uh, And if you've kind of dug deeper into theology, the questions of do the the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit still exist? Do the gifts of prophecy and tongue and and healing and miracles still define the church? And this may seem like a cop-out, but number one, I'll say that we'll address that later in chapter 14. But number two is that if that's kind of where you're tempted to go, if that's kind of where you're tempted to go when reading this, I will say that you're, you're, you're facing the same temptation that the Corinthians did. That when we see Paul mentioning the, these gifts, if our automatic reaction is then to go, okay, here is then my theological uh, debate that I want to put together to be able to argue my point, Paul's saying, no, 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 the, the, the main point is for us to be able to come together and say Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we can talk about spiritual gifts. And who knows, maybe I'll land on chapter 14 when, when all of that is said, but we will get there. So if, you're, if your temptation then is, is to come here and then come and argue cessationism versus continuationism, I'd love to have that argument with you, and we can do that. But that's not the primary thing that Paul is trying to put forth. But what he is trying to put forth as a primary thing is verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Just as simple as people are more important than things, this is Paul's MO right here. So let's break that down. The first phrase, to each is given. What is he saying there? Everybody is gifted. Right? He didn't say to those who are given. He says to each is given. So whether you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm gifted. And I have this conversation a lot when we go through the membership process and we're helping people reflect and think about how they can uh, bless the church and be blessed by the church. Regardless of where you are and where you stand, how old you are, what experience you have, Paul is saying to each is given. We are all gifted in some way. So it, it, it addresses the fear of do I have a gift? to, okay, what is that gift? Whether all of these gifts are for the edification of the church, to strengthen it, to encourage it, to comfort it. So whether that's wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation, as Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians, for us, it could look like hospitality. It could look like generosity. It could look like 
getting up early to serve coffee or putting together the communion elements before the church service starts. It's being able to write letters and notes of encouragement to those in our church who are are hurting or who need some uplifting encouragement. Whatever that gift is, I encourage you to take some time to sit and think about it, to reflect and pray about it, but then also ask other brothers and sisters, people you trust, people you know, people who know you, hey, what is my gift? And how can I use that for the glory of Christ? Not necessarily, hey, what is my gift? What am I good at? And leave it there, but reflect together. How can I use that for the glory of Christ? How can I use that to bring other people to say, Jesus Christ is Lord? What is that gift? So to each is given. And then, Paul says, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, in what we do, in the things that we say, in how we carry ourselves, we embody the Spirit of God. Think about that. The things that we do as witnesses, as ambassadors of Christ, we represent the church, we represent the work of the Holy Spirit So that when we hear Paul say words like, how beautiful it is of the feet that bring the good news, we are doing the very work of God. So know and be empowered that in these spiritual gifts, this is the work of God Himself. You are doing the work of God Himself. Each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, for what? For the common good. If it doesn't benefit the body, if it doesn't benefit the church, if it doesn't benefit those around us, it is not a gift of the Spirit. Just like we said before, if it doesn't glorify Christ, if it doesn't lead us to say Jesus is Lord, it's not a gift of the Spirit. In the same way, if it does not benefit others around us, it is not a gift of the Spirit. If you were with us in the morning service, Pastor Matt, we talked a lot about our core values and this huge core value that we have as a community. And that we live in a world, especially right now, that is so tempted to be remote, to be removed, to be distanced, that we could very much do church remote. Like we could sit from our homes, we can sit uh, from the comforts of our screens to do that and, and just kind of tune in that way. I was talking to a friend yesterday who had seen... The, the Pixar movie WALL-E for the first time yesterday. If you've ever seen WALL-E, it's the social commentary that the world around us, maybe even specifically our country, has come to a place where they've kind of grown lazy, kind of overly obese, that there's a ton of trash in the world, and that they've lost sight of this communal connection that we have, and everything is funneled through a screen, everything is drunken through a straw. And it was very kind of... Uh, raw, very bold thing for Disney to do, but um, we were kind of reflecting on that a little bit. But if it doesn't benefit the common good, if it doesn't benefit those around us, if we don't see our need for community, is that really a gift of the Spirit? In the ways that God has created us, if He has created us in His image, and we know God to be Father, Son, and Spirit, God created us so that we could experience the very fellowship that he experiences in himself. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to know what it's like for father to love son, for son to love spirit, for spirit to pour out his life for us. And he wants us to share in that same love, in that same fellowship, in that same gift sharing, because that's who he is. 
That's what God wants for us. So we actually become lesser versions of ourselves when we isolate. We become less human when we decide to say, I don't need other people. I don't want to live life rubbing shoulders with other people because it inconveniences me. We actually are less than what we've been created to be when we do that. So acknowledge these are gifts of the Spirit. The fact that we have spouses, the fact that we have community groups, the fact that we have children, the fact that we have this church where we can come every week to share life together, to share these prayer requests together, to be bold enough to say, this is really hurting in my life right now. And then to receive that on the other end and say, I'm right there with you. And to, to share joys together, to celebrate together, to be able to be in community so close-knit enough to know that we're constantly praying for one another, that we're encouraging each other through the Word. So identify, what is my gift? How can I use that for the glory of Christ, for the benefit of of others? Who are those in my circles of influence that I can bless? How can I actually manifest the Spirit of God to that person? You ever had that interaction where you're like having the roughest week, and it's just that one text, that one phone call, that one conversation that you've had with that person that really just uplifts you, that was exactly what you needed to hear? That's a work of God's Spirit. And lastly, how can you serve them in a way? How can we serve the common good, whether it's the church, whether it's the neighborhoods that are around us, whether it's the coworkers, whether it's the people, the person that we thought, man, that person is the furthest away from my own interpretation of what faith and what Jesus is. How can we use the gifts that we've been given to serve and bless them? So as, as an encouragement, as, as we've been honestly reflecting as, as a church, uh, certainly as we did as a staff this past summer and, and engaging the health of our staff and our church, be encouraged that City Reformed is, is in a unique place to, to do and to be that. Certainly there is this temptation of, of being extra gifted and, and only focusing on those gifts and those results, but by the way in which we've been able to respond, that people have generously given, that we've thought about and prayed about how the Lord is leading us, all of these things point that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that God is with us. So would you join us in saying, how can I glorify God for the common good for those around me? How can others come to know Jesus because of the things that we do? Amen? Let's pray together.